The following podcast contains explicit language. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Charlotte Green is people! No, I am the father. What's in the box? You maniac! You blew it up! Hello and welcome to Slate's Spoiler Specials. Today we are spoiling Happiest Season, a charming, I thought, new Christmas rom-com from writer-director Clea Duvall, also co-written by Mary Holland. It premiered on Hulu on November 25th. I'm Christina Cotarucci, a staff writer at Slate and host of Slate's LGBTQ podcast, Outward. And joining me is June Thomas, Senior Managing Producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Hi, June. Hey, I'm also one of the hosts of Working, Slate's podcast about how creative people get their work done. I love that show. So this is an all-gay recap of a super (laughs) gay movie. I couldn't be happier to be here. And I hope you're wearing comfortable shoes, June, because we (laughs) are tiptoeing around the shards of a shattered glass ceiling. Happiest Season is the first studio-backed holiday rom-com about a queer couple. A lot of qualifiers in that sentence, but it still feels pretty groundbreaking to me, a fan of holiday movies and rom-coms, who has grown tired of watching straight people straightify the genre for so long. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I think the, the thing that really got me about this movie, like in many ways... It's kind of fine. Like, that would be my basic take on the movie. (laughs) But I still loved it because even in the sort of parts where I was, like, reaching for my phone to, like, distract myself because I wasn't quite gripped by the movie, Mm -hmm. I was still so happy to be there in this this, um, situation that I've lived through. Because normally, like, even now, you're kind of, well, I'm going to kind of parallel that to something that really happened to me. But you don't generally see your own experiences on the screen and I haven't had quite this situation, thank goodness. But <laughs> I was going to say, what exactly <laughs> well, you was know, your situation going home for the holidays? My ex, the mayor's daughter, was <laughs> But that, like, I, even now, when there are many more queer people on television and in the movies, I've not seen, like, a kind of problematized coming out of that particular kind. So you generally liked the movie, it sounds like. I did. I mean, I think it's a good Christmas movie. It's Mm -hmm. not a good unqualified movie, in my view. But I know from reading your wonderful review in Slate that you seemed to like it a bit better than I did. Yeah. I always grade queer movies on a curve. And I used to feel uh, kind of embarrassed by that, like... Or, or beat myself up like, oh, I'm probably only liking this movie because it's queer. Same with the new season of The L Word or the reboot of The L Word. I felt like, oh, if this was about straight people, I would not like it this much. I feel that way about this movie. But I've come to decide that it doesn't really matter. or I shouldn't beat myself up over it because the fact that it is queer is a really important part of the movie. And it's a reason why it works in a way that the same movie 
well, first of all, it couldn't exist about a straight couple because yeah. the whole the whole film is about coming out. But yeah. in a couple really important ways, I think this film deviated from the coming out genre and the just holiday movie, you know, I'm bringing someone home to meet the family who isn't quite what they seem genre. Because they're... Uh, they've got magical powers. There are no magical powers in this movie, except for the <laughs> magical powers of queerness, which is something completely different. Right. So just to sort of lay the groundwork here, Happiest Season stars Kristen Stewart as Abby, a Pittsburgh pet sitter. Can't get queerer than that. Abby is dating Harper Caldwell, a journalist who we find out soon into the film is not out to her family. So her family lives in, I think what we're meant to believe is either a Pittsburgh suburb or some other small to medium-sized town in Pennsylvania. Early on in the film, it comes out that Abby's character isn't quite as into Christmas as Harper. You know, that this is sort of a familiar conceit in a Christmas movie where one character has to get the other one more into Christmas. Um, So in this case, the way they're going to remedy that imbalance in Christmas excitement is Abby is going to go home with Harper for the holidays. Because Harper's family is crazy for Christmas. Yeah, they're they're Christmas nuts. I think in that first scene, this is basically the only time we see the couple interacting as a couple without the, you know, family drama sort of looming in the background. And I think they do a relatively good job of, you know, showing the two of them comfortable in themselves, living their lives together, certainly in love, very cute, very smoochy. I was won over by both actresses right away. How did you feel? Same. No, there's a, there's a kind of a hokey, but appropriate for the genre kind of slapstick scene where yes. Kristen Stewart like falls off a roof into an inflatable Santa but it's played for laughs rather than peril and after they kind of it's just like a weird funny sort of scene um that's not exactly realistic and afterwards they kind of run away in a slight like <laughs> giggly panic and make out in a alleyway and it's yeah it's awesome it's that that was really like oh my god I've wanted to see this my whole life kind of thing you know so I love that yeah they're both very easy to love you know both actresses and both characters um at the beginning at least you know you want to root for both of them Abby then decides that since Harper loves Christmas so much she's going to propose marriage to her on Christmas morning her favorite morning of the year let's go back a little bit even further Mm -hmm. so The plan at the beginning of the movie is that Abby is going to stay in their apartment while Harper goes home alone. That's the plan. I don't know that Abby is actually a pet sitter normally or if it's just that like she's playing that role over the holidays because she's the person who stays home over the holidays. I felt like pet sitter was a part of her identity. Yeah. At least that's what I chose to believe. Yeah. I think I kind of embraced that my own interpretation because like Abby, I'm a person who... I do have a family, but not in this country. So I don't go home for Christmas. And I do tend to think of myself as like, I'll do the little things. Like, I'll work over the holidays. I'll go and feed your cat. I'll go and, you know, not do not hurt your fish. So I could really relate to that. But the plan is that she'll be home. She's an orphan. She's not that into Christmas. So that's the plan. But then something happens. Like, either Abby Harper is so darn cute. Harper becomes so overcome with her love for Abby. Yeah, that she she invites her home. So that's like a complete out of the blue. And then the next morning, 
they've both kind of, at first, Abby's a little reluctant. Then the next morning, like, Abby's into it. She's making the coffee like never before because <laughs> she's going home to meet the Caldwells. Meanwhile, Harper has had a like, oh, man, what am I going to do? And she's trying to kind of talk her out of it, but can't really explain why she's maybe not the best idea. What about the fish? Just mm-hmm. isn't that good of a, like... <laughs> taught me out of it kind of thing. yeah what about all the pets don't you care about all these pets you're going to be leaving in the lurch exactly not been all this preparation done but meanwhile the plan has been for them to go home abby's like oh man i'm getting that engagement ring i'm gonna ask her mm-hmm. dad's permission first and then you know make make this big symbolic you know ask in the middle of the holiday festivities. Right. And so the way that viewers find out about this plan is through the character of John, right. who is uh, Abby's best friend, a gay guy played by Dan Levy of Shit's Creek, who is playing a similar character to his character on Shit's Creek. Similar. Very similar. A little bit toned down. Uh, he wears fingerless gloves, which, you know, at this point, I don't know if Dan Levy has entire <laughs> hands. And his character throughout the whole film is basically in this permanent posture of exasperation or indignation. At first, it's a little bit about, you know, oh, you're going to ask Harper's dad for his blessing. Wow, like way to stick it to the patriarchy. And, yeah. you know, isn't marriage so heteronormative? I can't believe you're buying into all this. But he's very adorably supportive, even as he's sort of ribbing her about this. Okay, so... They're driving to Harper's family home. Midway through, Harper decides to tell Abby, hey, remember when I told you over the summer that I had come out to my parents and they were okay with it? Well, that didn't really happen. Like, not only are they not okay with it, I didn't ever come out to them at all. Uh, So they pull over to the side of the road, sort of have it out. The car ride isn't that long. So, you know, we're told that they're basically almost at the house when this reveal happens. And Harper tells Abby, not only do you have to pretend we're not together, but you can't be gay either. You have to pretend you're straight too. And to me, this is one of the main ways that this film diverged from a lot of other coming out films. First of all, because the main character ends up being Abby. You know, we were meant to sympathize with her instead of with Harper, but also because uh, she has to pretend she's straight too, that it's not just a relationship that's being hidden. It's, you know, part of herself for, you know, a, for reasons that she's not all that invested in b- besides for her love of Harper. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say there, there's, I'm sure we'll get into, you know, the the key problem with this movie for me was like the stakes, it's a holiday movie. And I just feel like I'm going to be kind of prefacing everything I say with that. So like, you know, the stakes are not exactly sky high anyway. But, you know, there there are lots of reasons why someone wouldn't come out to their parents um, or would pick their moment. You know, this is, this is known. But, you know, you also, we're not going to have a nice holiday movie about like some really nasty homophobic people. Yeah. So the kind of the reason why she can't come out is like her dad's in this run for mayor and he, you know, and like, yeah, I don't really get it. You know, I'm not really convinced. (laughs) And it just kind of makes these people who we have to think are not horrible. Mm -hmm. Like they can't be vile, foul people that we would hit and that we would go and like pick at their house right they just have to be sort of a little bit annoying and it's really hard to calibrate that because 
pretty early I got to not hate them because they're sweet, they're cute, mm-hmm. but like they're so, so, I don't know, unloving to this family that they, not just to Harper, the queer one, but also mm-hmm. um, to the other, her other sisters that you kind of, you know, it was just hard to, to just, to, to not want Abby just to turn around and leave this family and be gone forever because they're all a bunch of shits, you know? Totally. Yeah, you make a, a good point that the script had to be very specific about why Harper wasn't coming out because there's really only one moment, I think, in the film where they're a little bit homophobic, where they're talking about another young woman in town and, oh, you know, her parents, it was so hard for them with her lifestyle choice. But it was mostly about keeping up appearances. Right, you know, right. they really didn't want to ruffle any feathers in their town. I do wonder whether in this day and age, somebody running for mayor, you know, even if they were a Republican, would their candidacy be felled by their child being gay? I, I That felt a little bit unrealistic to me. Especially in a, in a sort of, it mostly seemed to not even be about the election, but to be about fundraising and pleasing one specific person. Yeah, played, one donor. Yeah, played by the always wonderful Anna Gasteyer. I'm not quite sure how you say her last name, who I always love and who was quite... Uh, restrained in this movie but like yeah it wasn't exactly convincing but again we're talking about a genre where often we've got a like a magical character so you know maybe that's not the right kind of criteria and also like just the the nature of the place it was a very diverse a very kind of you know it didn't seem like people were were narrow-minded that weren't you know and should I be applauding them for not being a stereotypical um, you know, closed-minded, there is no way you could be gay kind of place, because no, I don't want that. I don't want to see that. But um, I, I just didn't buy that anyone would, yeah, as you said, Christina, that anyone would care. Yeah, maybe this is part of the point that the film was making, which is that it really is all about Harper's decision. You know, wh- she doesn't know how her family will react, but all signs point to it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. You know, it it doesn't seem like they would kick her out, for instance. And she's also an adult by now. She's not a kid who's fully reliant on her parents. But it's all about her fear and her unwillingness to even take that chance that is weighing on Abby and, you know, making all of the hilarity and drama ensue throughout the film. Yeah. And as I said, the, the her two other siblings also have their issues with the parents the oldest sibling, Sloan, played by Alison Brie, you know, has just this really, you know, cutthroat rivalry with Harper. Um, you know, they have basically like a scrap on an ice <laughs> rink, you know, like because they have to, you know, they're just, they're just, they're all sharp elbows with each other and just kind of vying for their parents' approval and love or whatever. And she, you know, she's not getting love for their, from the parents either, even though she like went to an Ivy League, she was an attorney, she has a a bullshit um, company that was thriving. by Goop. Yeah, thriving. A thriving curated gift experience company. That got the, uh, the Goop seal of approval, you know? So, but she also is not, and Jane, who I guess is, I suppose is the youngest child, the other daughter, is just such a sweetheart and is the the worst treated of anyone for no reason because i think we're supposed to think that she's a loser but she doesn't come across that way so she's like, just it's a little really, bit of a weirdo yeah exactly she would 
she's the kind of person who would be our friend. So, like, it's really hard to see why they don't love her to death. But, or maybe it would be us. I'm not going to say. But anyway. So, yeah, it, it it's like, just get away from these people. You know, as somebody who, like, feels like it's perfectly fine to, like, walk away from your parents if they don't treat you well. I kind of think, like, maybe Harper should have done that some years ago. But anyway. Yeah. I digress. So they show up at the Caldwell's home. It's a gorgeous home in the style of all the best holiday movie homes, you know, decked out to the nines. There's an incredible kitchen with a well-lit breakfast nook. Couldn't ask for a better place to come home for the holidays. Uh, There are a lot of really great sort of gags right from the very beginning. Like, you know, Abby's parents are dead, but, and you know, that's sort of their story for why Harper's roommate is coming home with her for the holidays. Um, but they treat her, even though she's an adult, as if, you know, she was Oliver Twist or something like, oh, you, this must be better than your orphanage. You know, we're just so pleased to help someone in need. Mary Steenbergen, who plays Harper's mom, Tipper, is just, right. It's a, it's a, perfectly rendered role i think where she's you know constantly taking pictures with an ipad for her husband's mayoral campaign instagram account um and just very much you know the all the twitter about the holidays and trying to make everything perfect and like a couple like snide remarks under her breath but said in the kindest voice um you know asking jane who's the put upon daughter, you know, oh, you know, you go fix, you go replace the air filters while while we're all visiting. They, they do a good job setting it up right from the beginning. And I particularly loved the photos of a topless Josh Hartnett in <laughs> Harper's childhood room that was hit way too close to home for me. So I, I do want to pause on the character of Jane for a second, who's played by Mary Holland, uh, who co-wrote the screenplay. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And she was in Veep with Clea Duvall, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she was probably the, the I would say, the breakout star of the film. Definitely had all of the funniest moments and just had just played it with such charisma and, you know, for being the oddball of the family who doesn't get any of her parents' love or attention, you know, it, she at least got all of my love and sympathy. Totally agree. Uh, since we're spoiling, there's a, a, a predictable scene um, in the, like, I guess it's kind of the big, the big set piece that, toward the end of the movie, the white elephant gift-giving, where... You know, you can kind of see it from the minute it's brought into the house. She brings in this big painting that she's made, of course, by the, you know, by the end of the party, it's gone through someone's head. And that's all very, you know, stereotype movie plot point number 15. But she then kind of points out, like, this is messed up. This took me 100 hours. And people were making fun of it. People, you know. And like, no, that's not okay. And like, that's so, when I'm saying this, that sounds, oh my God, what a downer, what a, but it's, it's actually right. And it's, it, to me, that was like the, the best moment of the movie. Like, this is not okay, you guys, you can't treat people like this. Um, and it just worked. And the fact that it could kind of take this, you know, very stereotypical thing that happens in every plot and just kind of make that little twist and that still... It not just be, oh, Debbie Downer. Like, that Mm -hmm. was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, it was 
it happens at a moment where it feels like, you know, everyone is getting their moment to say, no, I deserve love and I deserve to be my full self. Um, but especially for this character who's been kind of the laughing stock for the whole movie and who was very easy to love as opposed to Harper, who wasn't. Yeah, for me, that was like, I drew actual tears to my eyes when she said, like, you just destroyed it as if it was nothing, but this meant so much to me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Night one, we're at the Caldwell's house. The family goes out to dinner. As a surprise, the parents have invited along Connor, who's the most average looking, average hair, average wardrobe, you know, ex-boyfriend of Harper's to come along as a, you know, oh, look who look who's showed up for dinner, kind of hoping that sparks will fly between the two of them. Yeah. And it's all too believable. But then again, it's like it's so depressing that Harper plays along with it. Again, that was one of those moments of in the middle of these, uh, you know, by the numbers plot points, there's something just that really gets something that really kind of elicits a real emotion that of like, yeah, of course, people do that. And if you play along with it, you know, you're really doing all kinds of damage, not only to the woman that you say you love, but also, you know, you're, you're lying on top of lies. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's more than just hurtful. It's really deceptive and, and kind of horrid. And this is just one of the many scenes that I think will read very differently to straight viewers than it will to queer viewers, though I think it works for both. Um, you know, to be a straight person watching this film or watching this scene, it it's kind of a familiar plot point for a romantic comedy movie where, you know, it's someone's ex is around and the current partner is a little bit jealous or, you know, wondering if they should say something. Or maybe it's just that someone's parents aren't on board with the new partner and they're constantly talking about their, you know, your ex. But if you're queer, you know, especially if you've had an experience, anything like this, where your parents have expressed a desire for you to date someone of the opposite gender, it, I think, unearths like very recognizable feelings of shame and discomfort. And there's something very, there can be something very alienating about going home back to a milieu that you've only experienced while straight, you know, meeting back up with all these people who only knew you as straight or still know you as straight, um, that the film captures very well, only from mostly from Abby's perspective, you know, being thrust into this uh, unfamiliar place where she's forced to pretend that she's, you know, just Harper's friend watching her flirt with Connor, who's the Harper's parents called son. I mean, again, it's it's that I agree that that's kind of the the highlight of the movie that um, that they are able to to kind of fi- find these things that are in real life actually very painful um, and still kind of have them show up in 
a rom-com, which, you know, implies comedy and it, it not be like super heavy, but um, you kind of have that nod of like, oh yeah, yeah, that that's something that happens, yeah. We also then meet Riley, Harper's ex, played by Aubrey Plaza, who's fantastic and she bi is. in real life, mm-hmm. I must point out, um, which, you know, sets the scene for what I thought was a little bit of a surprising plot line. So uh, what did you think of the whole Riley subplot? Okay, so that subplot uh, that you speak of is that in high school, Harper and Riley were together. They were super into each other. They were in love. They were doing all the things that especially young girls in love do. And then they were outed and Harper did not stick up for Riley. In fact, she, you know, did the opposite. You know, she said, yeah, you know, she's a lesbian. She's got the hots for me. And which led to Riley effectively being, um, you know, excluded from the circle, being bullied, being treated homophobically, which obviously, like, is this huge, major horrible thing that Harper did. This is a horrible thing in Harper's past that Harper apparently has not, what's the word, hasn't atoned for. That, you know, this comes out over a little period. It doesn't, it's not revealed all at once. And, you know, again, the great and slightly surprising thing about it is that although Riley is not happy about this, um, you know, when we first meet her, she has that great Aubrey Plaza, like, blank affect mm-hmm. so you're like wow okay is she going to be like the nasty one who digs in yes the... that's what kind of what I thought at first yeah and you know and she is, does that a little bit because she's so good at that so she's got to do it a little bit but no it's not she's not um she doesn't exact her revenge she actually is very very kind and genuinely kind to Abby genuinely sympathetic she tells her which maybe you know I think is perfectly fine um, about what happened, you know, and then this is kind of something that doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, I know in your review you talked about liking the the scene in the in the gay bar. Which, oh my God, it has a gay bar this time that they're in. <laughs> Whatever. Just I know. Uh, again, so if you're going to be the mayor of this town, this small yeah. town that somehow has a gay bar, an amazing yeah. gay bar, yeah. Uh, and like, I thought, I just kind of thought that was going to go somewhere. It didn't really. It was just kind of an act of kindness and bonding. Yeah, um, I, I thought that they were going that there was a, going to be a more of a romantic mm-hmm. frisson between mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. Um, than there ended up being. But yeah, the way you know the the sort of outing in high school that you talk about, which you know Harper said, "I'm not gay." She is, and basically participated in her abuse. That could very well be a lifetime-defining traumatic incident for somebody. And I actually thought it was smart that the film didn't play it that way, to, like, keep things as light as possible while also not really shying away from the fact that this was a terrible thing that Harper did, but, you know, allowing Riley to sort of move on from it and have a good and happy life. Right. She's a physician. And although like you do have a sense that while her affect might not have been quite so closed down, if um, it hadn't been for this terrible time that she had in high school, you know, it hasn't kind of ruined her life. There is one thing I would like to say about Riley, though, and it's actually more about all of them. Now, as you said, a lot of these women are actually queer in real life. Not Mackenzie Davis, but um, Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza. Um, 
and so uh, you know it, that that so I, you'll understand why I'm saying that in a second. But like, there was something about the fact that they are still very pretty, kind of super skinny. Which you know, I know. First of all, we're always going to have skinny, pretty women in movies. Like <laughs> things have not changed. That that's not going to happen. But you know, and it's funny. I saw a tweet that you made recently about like had a clip from the movie uh, with the way that uh, Abby was holding her tote bag and saying, yeah. "This is the most most soft butch way of holding a tote bag I've ever seen." And I have to say, it didn't quite read that way for me. Like I understand why they look like they do, and I think that's not going to change for a while. But like, you know, if we're doing stuff, if we're actually like you know <laughs> breaking barriers, wouldn't it be nice to maybe you know have someone. I'm not going to say who looks more like a lesbian because, as I say, you know, they look like they look more masculine like, of center. Yeah, is, is what um, I think you mean, right? Yeah, so that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so they look—they actually look like how they look. So that's fine. But uh, yeah, I wish that it were possible to convey that you know more masculine of center lesbians or women can be considered attractive and hot, and you know, just kind of really make that a little more mainstream. Yeah. For me, I mean, Kristen Stewart has what I think is a soft butch energy, if not necessarily a, you know, masculine of center presentation. Although by Hollywood standards, I think she is masculine of center. But the film does something that most mainstream depictions of lesbian does, which is substitute quote unquote menswear for an actual masculine presentation. So there's a lot of blazers and the occasional, you know, bow tie or like ascot type thing, but they're also wearing makeup and have barrettes in their hair. And you know, the, it's a very fitted coat that's probably made of velvet or something. And they're wearing heels in, you know, using my rubric of gender presentation, they would all be on the feminine end of the spectrum. It's worth mentioning that these are people who live in L.A. And as far as I know, the the gender presentation rubric is skewed a little bit in L.A. where it's it's a lot more common to see so-called butches in makeup and with long hair um, than it is in other parts of the country. But I agree with you. I mean, we could have make a whole podcast about this is how much I could talk about it. Just the fact that there are no almost no masculine of center lesbians in any like mainstream queer production, um, you know, my kingdom for an alternative lifestyle haircut. Yeah, I think one of the problems this points out is just a problem with the movie of like, it's about a lesbian couple and then one lesbian off to the side, one gay man, all the rest of the people in the show are straight. So we just don't see that many queer people. So those four have a lot on their shoulders. And if they don't, you know, offer a particular type of presentation or a particular type of being, we're not going to see it because this is a movie about four queer people in the middle of a bunch of straight people. So, Yeah, that's a good point. I just, in the context of everything else, I very much see what you're saying about, you know, for all the barriers that this film broke, that wasn't one of them. (laughs) The the gender presentation or, you know, body diversity uh, barrier wasn't one of them. So while we're on the topic of just representation of queer people in general. I thought it was interesting and bugged me a little bit that the Connor 
character wasn't just shown as sort of a relic of Harper's straight life and and her parents' love and adoration, but also as somebody who Abby was supposed to be jealous of. And, you know, one thing that I want to see more of is uh, depictions of queer women where they're not still hung up on a man or like a, a male ex is not in the picture. You know, even if those characters are bi, I don't feel like there always needs to be a male love interest somewhere involved and and being the object of jealousy. Yeah, and I think that was one reason why, you know, we see Abby has some kind of response to it. And, you know, on the good point, it seems to mostly be you chose to spend your evening with this guy. So um, boring. Yeah, without really kind of explaining it. You know, it could, this might be a reason. Oh, I haven't seen this guy who I used to be close with for years whatever like you but she doesn't have an explanation it's just like she's doing it to please her friends or not to you know not to come out but then also there's a kind of a parallel that when harper sees abby with riley she has also a little bit of a response but yeah that that just felt a little bit boring there are a few days that go by i think this is a five-day trip um there's A couple of days where the general theme is Harper being busy doing things to either please her parents or wanting to hang out with her straight friends who also don't know she's gay uh, and either leaving Abby behind or not being attuned to Abby's feelings or needs. And, uh, you know, Abby's left to spend time either alone or with members of Harper's families without Harper, which I feel like is a real red flag if the first time your partner brings you home that they then leave you to hang out with their family by yourself that hard to think of a more uncomfortable situation than that so after a couple days of that for a variety of reasons we won't get into abby can't come to this family dinner she has to spend the evening alone and runs into riley while she's out riley takes her to a gay bar amazing as you pointed out june that this town has a small gay bar can that person please fund other lesbian bars in other cities? I really enjoyed the cameo of Ben de la Creme and Jinx Monsoon, um, two drag queens who have a highly renowned holiday show that they do every year. And they're performing at this gay bar. It's really the, the dream Christmas situation for me, you know, being home in someone's straight hometown, you know, and meeting a brand new dyke and getting to go to a gay bar with them. Yeah. And have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy for Abby that she got that moment. Yeah. And at this part of the film, they're drawing a sharp contrast between the queer world, you know, the way it makes Abby feel at home, the way that she's sort of welcomed into this queer queer world in the small town, and the straight world where Harper is insisting on being, which is full of terrible sports bars, boring people, you know, drunken stupidity, and shame. Yeah, exactly. And superficiality. No, it's, I mean, I know who had the best evening of those two options. And I know which one I would take 100 times out of 100. Uh, Yeah, that was very well done. I mean, I think one of the issues that we're going up against is like these plot points build up to something which is so predictable. And so, I don't know, like, it's in a way, it's the worst part of the movie, which is where 
Sloan, Harper's rival slash older sister, effectively outs her in front of everyone, makes a big scene. Harper denies, no, she's not gay. No, you know, again, so many, you know, demerits, Harper. You're going to have to do a lot of uh, good deeds to make up for all these horrible things. All the people leave the party. Oh, shame, horror, shock. There's one thing that comes after that happens, which is a lovely scene between John and Abby that I felt was in many ways like that's what will stay with me after this movie, even more than like the very cute makeout scenes. That was really something very profound as well as like that that made sense within the movie. Yeah. So, you know, after Harper denies in front of everybody that she's gay, Abby sort of storms out. John, who has come to her aid and also pretended to be straight (laughs) in, you know, a a lot of the funny parts of this movie are pretty predictable, but I still laughed at them. I think it's because the actors are so lovely and it's done with such you know, a big heart that I just enjoyed every joke, even when I think I would have like rolled my eyes right past them in any other film. Completely. Anyway, so they go outside and he does what I would hope a friend would do to me, or he, he was just a great friend to her. And let's listen to a clip of that speech. My dad kicked me out of the house and didn't talk to me for 13 years after I told him. Everybody's story is different. There's your version, and my version, and everything in between. But the one thing that all of those stories have in common is that moment. Right before you say those words, when your heart is racing, and you don't know what's coming next. That moment's really terrifying. And then once you say those words, you can't unsay them. A chapter has ended and a new one's begun and you have to be ready for that. And Abby said like, yeah, I I get it, but I want somebody who's ready because that's where I am. And you know, this is the life that I want. And he's like, that's okay, great. And I was like, Wow, that is such a sensitive. I, I don't think I've ever heard a like coming out monologue that made room for somebody who didn't want to be with someone who wasn't out. And I, I was pretty astounded to see that that was the way the movie was going because in a rom-com, you really expect the characters to come back together after something like that that, you know, the gay best friend gives you a rousing speech that convinces you to go back to the person who just hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I fully agree. And, and I do like, even though then there's still more moments and they do end up together and Harper, you know, declares her love and comes out and like everybody, you know, after a while, everybody hugs, you know, I guess that's not really much of a surprise either. But you know, I still think that, that, yeah, that that was the emotional heart of the film. And because, you know, probably they should have broken up. Harper has really, she has a lot of strikes against her. I think probably enough to, to get out. And, and especially because, again, as you said in your review, we haven't really seen their relationship. We saw, you know, there's a cute little sort of the, the, the coded, not the coded, like the little, 
preamble that that we talked about earlier on, you know, before they go home, but and we see a little bit in their apartment, but like we we don't see what it is that they have together. Um, they seem to have sexual chemistry, which is great, you know, no shade on that, but um, we don't really see their bond. We don't really see why they're why we don't really get them as people, much less as a couple. So, you know, I think probably they should have broken up right there and right then. Um, and yeah, for that to be like the the emotional heart of the film does feel important and cool and great. And I also hope that that's not the end of the conversation they have about that weekend home, (laughs) you know, because after Harper comes out, okay, great. But what about the fact that you treated Abby as expendable for the entire time that she was there and, you know, stayed out late at a certain point, you know, me and my wife are very much of the breed of like, if you want to go home and I want to stay out, great. You know, we're not a couple that always has to be going in and out together, but if you have invited somebody home with you for the holidays for the first time and are asking them to pretend to be straight, to be Kristen Stewart and pretend to be straight, it's, you know, an abomination against God. And to ask her to do that, and then she wants to go home instead of hanging out at a straight bar and you force her to go home alone. I mean, that alone, I think, would have been reason for Abby to consider breaking up with her. So I was very glad that 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 speech didn't convince her immediately that, oh, because it was hard for Harper and she's not ready yet, you know, I just have to wait around forever until perhaps she comes around. And then it all works out. Uh, (laughs) And I mean, of course, it's going to again, like it's sort of Christmas movie rom-com it's going to work out I didn't Um, want it to work out that way I really thought that it was going to be a little bit of an unresolved wedding where Abby chooses herself instead of the relationship I guess the twist that we got was that like um you know Abby did not become a great lover of Christmas and like turn into a professional you know Christmas shop owner or something so like that was the hey surprise it was funny like I had totally forgotten about that throwaway line about, oh, you know, I don't really like Christmas until she brought it back around like, well, my parents loved Christmas and then they died, you know, during this big climactic moment with her best friend. Like, oh, I actually don't think we needed to hear more about Christmas in this movie. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. If it's okay, I would like to talk about the closing sequence of the movie. Yes, please. I thought both the opening sequence, which involves like it's their drawings, it's like a cute series of drawings of like the the history of their relationship to this point that 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 felt both christmas movie-ish and also um just really nicely done i like a good opening theme sequence and then at the end there was a sort of a similar thing where we've again we've established that tipple loves to take these very posed photos um and loves to you know because she was doing it for the for her husband's mayoral campaign. Mm-hmm. And, and she takes the, the photos with an iPad, which I think yeah, is exactly. important to know. So perfect. And then toward the end, we see more kind of Instagram postings. And they're, they're just, you know, they're all the other things, like after, after all the secrets are out. Um, and one of them is at Pride. And of course, they're a PFLAG family. You know, they're going to be like the head of the PFLAG chapter in like two weeks. And, you know, they're, they're super, super into Pride and lots of rainbow flags. That was very nicely done, I think. So I think those kind of those production elements were very nicely done. And and I I really enjoyed that part of the film. And I liked the sort of gentle poking fun at a straight family member who's now all of a sudden like found a new cause in their life. You know, I think 
it was very smart and perceptive of them to make that character go from, oh, you know, what, what a terrible lifestyle choice to, you know, hashtag love is love. Like, I'm an ally now and so proud of my daughter and like making that like a totally adopting with open arms that new aspect of her identity and also maybe realizing that it's not uh, politically inadvisable to have a queer child in 2020. Exactly, exactly. exactly. No, I, I, I thought that was very smart. I also felt like, so this was the second movie that I saw in quick succession that was a going home to come out to your family film where then the family kind of surprisingly is more or less all fine with it. Uh, The other one is another recent film that I won't name because I don't want to spoil that one. (laughs) You've only signed up for Happiest Season. And while I love a queer movie that doesn't end in trauma (laughs) and alienation, it did feel a little quick to go from, you know, too scared to come out, family's going to disown me, to then PDA on Christmas morning within a span of 12 hours. You know, like, if you've just come out to your family and you're still not even certain how they feel about it, you're not going to be cuddling on the couch while opening presents the next day. But I think that was a little bit of queer fan service that... yeah. I didn't yeah. hate. I just thought it was unrealistic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And again, like I wanted that. I I wanted to see the happy family, but I also, but I had that exact thought. Like, mm-hmm, sure, yeah. So we've talked a lot about why this film was delightful, even sometimes in spite of itself. Would you watch a sequel? I would only because. I want to see I want to see some what happens next. I want to see how uh, I want to see more of their queer lives. Now I've seen them with all these straight people. I want to see their real community. I want to see how they are together. I want to know how Harper makes up for all of these genuinely horrible things that she's done. I mean, and because I also think that that's a real thing. Like that's another thing I've not seen a movie about whether it's straight people or as in the case of Harper, even queer people being homophobic and then realizing, actually, that was really not cool. Um, that was wrong. And like, how do you, what do you do then once you've figured out that I did something that was really, I now feel terrible about. What do I do now? Like, that's actually a really real thing. And I would love to see that dealt with. I don't think we're going to see like, a Thanksgiving movie talking about her atonement or but I wish I could what about it you? should happen sooner it should happen around you know New Year's or Valentine's Day agree but. agree what about um, you yes I would freaking love a sequel to this movie <laughs> I just it, it made me feel very warm inside to see you know, I, I am a very cynical person in a lot of my life, but when it comes to a, a Christmas movie, I'm able to put all that aside. And be able, be, to be able to do that without having to watch a straight relationship throughout an entire film or to, you know, be in my head about the, like, gender dynamics and how much they're messed up as they are in so many, like, uh, classic Christmas movies was just such a delight. I love watching Kristen Stewart do anything. And... I like actually laughed out loud and cried out loud during this movie, which is 
I wouldn't say rare for me, but, you know, it made me feel things in addition to being a just delightful, like warm Christmas blanket. But I th- I've said this a lot. And, and to your point, I would love to see more movies where adult queer people who are already out <laughs> just have things going on in their lives that aren't related to either homophobia or coming out. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm very torn on that because it does feel like the exact situation, maybe not even about the going the coming out element, but like the first time you go to a girlfriend's family home for the holidays, like that's really big, like that that's huge. And so I I was glad to see that. I didn't need all the the coming out Michigas. I didn't need all that, but like I I liked finally seeing a film about that. So I'm a little bit of a hypocrite of like, yeah, I also want that. But at the same time, I kind of like seeing things that I've lived through be on screen that are a little bit, you know, a little bit, mm, you know, just have a little free sign of not danger, for goodness sake. Certainly not in my case, but like just of, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. You know, partly to that speech that John gave. You don't know, like when you're coming out, every single person that comes out, you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know what people are going to say and and that feeling of not knowing is scary. You know, it's just all kinds of things, including scary, including exciting, including liberating. Like there's, it's, it's very emotional. And so it's great to see that be the subject of a film. But I also agree, like maybe some more ordinary things too. Yeah, that can be the sequel. I also enjoy thinking about the, the different place this film might find in the life of a person who's already gone through it and a person who has yet to go through it. So, you know, for the first type of person, queer person, it could be a a good way to work through some of those memories, especially ones that might not be so happy. And for somebody who hasn't gone through it yet, I think it could feel even more relevant um, and hopefully comforting in its own way. Um, And, you know, Clea Duvall, who I absolutely love, took a really long time to come out. Yeah, yeah. After playing a thousand lesbians. Yeah, so many queer people. And uh, so she has said something to the effect of, you know, this was a film I always wanted to see and and how much it means to her to be able to make this movie. And uh, I'm just really happy for her that it's getting received so well and happy for me that I get to be alive to see it. All right, that's our show. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, which I hope you do, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows that we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Jasmine Ellis. For June Thomas, I'm Christina Cotarucci. Thanks for listening. 